Is that an encouraging church? Isn't that good? You go ahead and be seated. So have you ever been listening to someone and you're like actively listening to them, but then you have an internal dialogue start running through your head where you're like, I need to make a decision about how I'm going to handle what they're saying. And it's like you're listening, but you're like, you know, for me, I was listening to this gentleman speak to me and I had to ask myself this question in my mind while he was still speaking of how awkward do I want to make this 20 year high school reunion? And high school reunions are already awkward enough, and then that's multiplied by the fact when it's not even yours, it was my wife's. And so I'm listening to this guy talk, and it's not my high school, and just so you know, my wife's high school experience was vastly different than my own. Uh, She was voted, she got the superlatives at a pretty large high school, most likely to become president of the United States of America, and most intelligent in, in her class. She was the salutatorian of her class. And so she was a four-year varsity basketball player. Like she was minor celebrity status in her town. And so I'm getting dragged around her 20-year high school reunion just like arm candy, like have nothing to offer. And yes, Sour Patch Kids are candy too, okay? I can be arm candy sometimes, all right? And so I'm getting dragged around and just have nothing to add to the conversations and ended up getting, you know, talking with some other guys who just don't know anyone there. And one of them probably had a couple drinks in him because it was an open bar at the high school reunion. And when someone finds out you're a pastor, I don't know if you know this, but once someone finds out you're a pastor, they often say really strange things to you. (laughs) And when they've had a couple drinks, the things just get stranger that they say. And as he was saying this to me, and I decide how awkward I want to make this, what he said was, he said, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I just believe that if you believe something in the end, then everything will be okay. And I had to decide, am I going to let this slide or am I going to respond to what he said? And as I'm thinking this, it probably could have maybe potentially been okay had he not finished his statement with the, but what do you think? Question mark. Now, I don't know if you know me well enough yet to determine when I make the statement, I don't know if I'm going to make this awkward. Most of you guys know, yes, Paul is going to make it awkward. Um, And and so as, as he finishes, I can't help but be, well, I definitely believe that there is some sort of absolute truth about who God is. And at the end of the day, there's characteristics and there's qualities and there's truths about who he is as a person, and we don't get to just make that up. And and my faith is in Christ. And that was pretty much the end of our conversation. He didn't want to talk no more. And maybe it was fruitful, maybe it wasn't, but it's one of those things, like, I just want to, I want to highlight that there are those intersections that we have where we understand this is an opportunity where I can say something about my faith or I can let it slide and I can say nothing. And I fear that the church has largely slid into the area of I'm just not going to speak about my faith. And I want to tell you it's destructive, it's dangerous. And in fact, it's been destructive in the the last 20 years of the church. The less and less that people of faith have spoken up, they've been saying less and less. And I don't know if, if you've seen this anywhere. I, have, I follow these sort of, of, of news lines. Uh, one of the recent polls was that 2020 was the largest decline in church attendance ever. And this is measured after things opened back up. 
Not just during the COVID shutdown when you couldn't go to church, but the thing about the decline that happened in 2020 with attendance in churches, once everything opened up, as things are now, it has not recovered it all back to what it is. It's fallen significantly, and it's one of the largest drops in history in church attendance. And, and I believe that what we, what we see is this carving off of people who, who've made the determination in how they live their life, that, that gathering together just isn't central to how I live my life. And people who culturally were part of the church have said, ah, culturally, I don't need that anymore. And I, I wonder... If so many people have fallen into that camp, because they would say, the message of the gospel and my relationship to the church, it just hasn't done anything real. Because what I've seen in people that I know and people in this church and people that I know across the world and I I keep up with friends on Facebook, the people who have stuck with it, I've seen this commonality that, that they have a part of their story and an element to their life where they say, God did something huge, and so I can't ignore what he's done in my life. I can't fall away from the church because my memory calls back to what God did in my heart, what God did in my past, the hurt that he healed, the thing that he transformed. And the people who have stayed tethered to the church are the people who have that element of their testimony that the message of the gospel changed something for me. And I want to tell you, that's what the gospel is supposed to do. And the reason why I think so many churches are in decline, and I want you to know, our church, we saw, you know, things went down in COVID, but we have grown past what we were before COVID. We've been up over 300 on some Sundays. Like, there are people here who are are being invitational and bringing their neighbors, bringing their friends, bringing their loved ones into church. Like, this is not a reaction to what's happening here, but this is an observation of church across the culture, is that I believe People have gotten away from expecting God to work in their life. And when the gospel holds no power, people hold no commitment to it. And today, I I wanna challenge, I wanna remind you of what God has done. And I hope that that fuels you to be invitational because we have this brief opportunity to make a difference. And the answer to us us being outreach-minded to being Luke 19.10, minded as we talked about last week, Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That is Jesus' heartbeat, why he came here. And the fuel for that, I believe, is connected to what God has done in our life. And the passage we're gonna look at today is maybe a familiar one. It's from the Gospel of John chapter four, starting at verse four. If you wanna get your Bible ready, um, I'm flipping some things around in my sermon, so I'm actually gonna set up the context before we read the passage, because I think that it changes the passage some. And so I'm gonna get into a, a little bit of the depth here. First of all, we're gonna be reading about an interaction with Jesus and a Samar- Samaritan woman. And, and it, the 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 city of Samaria and the area and the region, it was once all considered just part of the, the Hebrew family, the Jewish family, like Judah and Israel and Samaria, all one. And God told them as he gave them this land and he brought them in. He said, if you turn towards Baal, if you turn towards the foreign gods, I will expel you from the land. If you participate in the sacrifices that they do, if you sacrifice your children to these gods, I will expel you from the land. And the people of Samaria, Samaria fell away from God 
And God expelled them, and the Assyrians conquered them and brought them out into exile. And then those who were taken out, they ended up intermarrying with the Assyrians and bringing in these, these pagan notions of worship. And then when they finally got to, come, got to come back to Samaria, they brought this additional pagan worship back with them. And in fact, in one of the mountains, that are, that are, there's two mountains right next to the city that we're going to look at in this passage, and they built a temple up on one of the mountains. And they incorporated this pagan ritual into their Hebrew faith. And so the other people who followed God, the people of Judah, they looked at the Samaritans with disgust. Now it's one thing to, be, to, to call someone back from sin, but the, the, Jew, the, the other Jewish people, they actually referred to the Samaritans as half-breed dogs. And if at all possible, rather than travel through Samaria, they would go completely out of the way. They were like, we do not drive through that neighborhood. We do not interact with those people. They are not even real people. The racism, the discrimination, it was real from the people of God. And though they were supposed to follow God, they looked at the Samaritans with disgust. And the, the, the city that the passage, this interaction happens in, it's called Sychar. And there's some theologians will disagree on whether Sychar is the same city as Shechem in Scripture. And if you're a Bible scholar, you know all this, but I want to just bring in a couple things. Um, Jacob, who, who wrestled with the angel, maybe you've seen some, read some of the passages about him, he dug a well there. And, and, and the well is the one that Jesus will actually have an interaction with. But there are a lot of very big moments in Scripture that happen right in this area. When God brings the people into the promised land, they actually divide the whole nation of Israel right in this region. And they read out the commandments. And the entire nation is gathering and shouting out yes and amen as the commandments are read to them. This, in this same area, there is some tragedies that happened. Um, Joseph's sister was abused and taken by men. And in retaliation, some of Joseph's brothers went and murdered an entire village. It was in this same area where Joseph was thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery. There's a lot that happened right in this area. And so as the passage makes reference to the well, it's calling back to memory a lot of interactions that happened right in this region. And this is a long passage. This is longer than I usually um, will, will read on a Sunday morning, but I really want you guys to have the whole interaction. And so starting at the Gospel of John chapter 4, and we'll put this up on the screen, starting at verse 4, it says, now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Remember that. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And a side note to the passage, in 128 BC, the Jewish people from Judah actually came and burnt down their temple that was up on the mountaintop and destroyed it, which is another source of contention between the people of Judah and Samaria. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, as we get into this passage, first of all, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus rarely ever traveled in a straight line towards his destination. He would leave unexpectedly. Things would be booming. People would be all around him. The crowds would be great, and he would slip away and sneak away, and he rarely went in straight directions. But he was heading towards Galilee, and he made the decision that they're going straight through Samaria, not taking any other course, which was a common cultural move for the Jews of the day. They would find excuses to avoid traveling through Samaria. And they, they go through Sychar. And, and it's this, this important place where Jesus is resting in the well. And it just creates an, an interesting scene because Jesus is the fullness of God and man. I mean, all, all of time and history are all present and he can think back. And I mean, he knows the moment that J- Jacob was digging this well. He, he knows what was, but he also knows what is to come. And when it says that he had to go through Samaria, I believe a big part of that had to go was that he knew who he was going to intersect with at this time. Jesus was fully capable of drawing his own water when he was thirsty. He was a big boy, okay? I mean, he had the capacity to speak and calm a storm, right? He had the capacity to to speak and heal and bring back from the dead. He he would pray and and food would be multiplied. He could work miracles. And you're going to tell me he couldn't get his own water? No, there's some method to this madness. And there was an appointment that he had in his mind and his heart that he was going to see happen right at this time. And I want to just dig a little bit into the cultural interaction here that we see her guard goes up as soon as he starts talking to her. Why is that? Well, culturally, it was a normal thing for Jewish men in this time. It was normally the single women who would be sent to go fetch the water. And so if a guy is looking for a lady, it was not uncommon to hang around the watering hole. I guess things haven't changed too much, have they? And then her experience, she's had five different husbands. We don't get too many of the details of her life. It's 
probably unlikely that she had that many husbands just due to death and circumstance, but she's probably been left. She's probably been divorced. There's probably been issues and there's probably been plenty of talk about her in town. And then it comes out in the conversation with Jesus that the person that she lives with is not her husband. Do you remember the penalty for adultery in this time? Talk about like the level of tension and anxiety that comes up when you're, when you're speaking with someone that she says, I can tell you're a prophet. And her baggage, her skeletons are brought out of the closet and laid right out in front of her. I mean, that, that, that's a tough moment to get to, but at the beginning of the conversation, the, the first interaction is she says, why are you even talking to me? Because you Jews, you don't even talk to us. The, 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 the way that the Jews would speak of them, calling them half-breed dogs, it, it immediately put things up. And so culturally, she's thinking, it doesn't make sense for you to talk to me. If you are talking to me, you probably want something from me. And in her history and in, her, in this moment, there's not a lot of good evidence that says that she would be interested in religious conversation. She's living in adultery. She's probably not interested in religious conversation. She's been abused and hurt by men in the past. She's probably not feeling a, a real strong sense that God is loving towards her because of her experience. But Jesus uses water to break the ice and gets right into the conversation. And he says, though I'm asking you for something, I have something to offer you. And, and I want to start here with just some applications of what the church can draw from this because Jesus' heartbeat from Luke 19.10 was the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. He says, we have to go through Samaria. The Jews don't like Samaria. We're going through. And he sees this appointment as he sits down at the well. He knows that she's coming and that this conversation will occur. And I think that the church today, I question whether churches are seeking the found or seeking the lost. When I see the way that churches commonly advertise, when I see the things that we do, I wonder if our heartbeat is to attract other people who already agree with us or if we are looking to engage in the conversation with people about who God is, about his plan for them when they're far away. Because I think that there's a sense of safety of, oh, I saw a Christian shirt, I saw a Christian bumper sticker, I saw a Bible on the table at their house, and so now I can break it open that I believe in God and that I go to church and I can talk to them about the things of faith. But until I see that clue that they already agree with me, I'm going to keep my faith secret. And I think that this is one of the reasons why churches are shrinking instead of growing is because we're only looking for the found. And just because of the natural principles of life and death, the amount of found people has been decreasing year after year, generation after generation. And because we've been muted about our faith around people who might be hostile towards it, we've been muted about our faith around people who may not believe the same way that we are. We've been muted about our faith when people are in a relationship that we know is wrong. And so we have not given people an opportunity to get out of their destructive situation and into a healthy one because we're afraid they might reject what we have to say. And I want to tell you that when you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, he was not afraid of approaching someone who was in the middle of a mess and inviting them to hear and understand and respond to the gospel. 
And so if you've been living with the fear of, I can only share my faith with people who, who already agree with it, I want to invite you, I want to challenge you, I want to press you, and I apologize if this comes off heavy, but I'm passionate about this area. There are people that you think are, would be completely closed off to the message of Christianity, but they are dying to hear it. Their family and their life and their career it's ripping apart at the seams and they need a word of hope. But you're looking and you're saying, oh, they, they've been living together five years. They're, they're not married. They would not like to hear an invitation to church. But inside of them, they need something. There is a thirst for something different. And you have it, but you've been muted about it. And we need to be people who seek the lost, not seek the found. Every indication would have been, she, she's not interested in religious conversations. She's not a Pharisee. She, she, she didn't get to study Hebrew and study the prophets the way that, that other people who've grown up in the temple have. She's obviously going to be cast out of the temple because of the, the relationship she's been in and the many marriages she's been in. She's not interested in religious things. And she said, this is who I've come to seek after. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick that I go to. And maybe you hear that and you say, Paul, that sounds judgmental that you think people need something. I want to tell you, I'll be the first one to tell you I'm a mess. And I've known a good amount of you for close to five years, and I'll be the first one to tell you as well, you're a mess too. I've seen your life, and I love you, but man, you are a mess too. And Scripture's clear, all have sinned and fall short of, of the glory of God. Scripture's clear that our best righteous acts, our, our best deeds are like filthy rags before God. Scripture is clear that you're a mess. You just may not understand that you're a mess because of your pride and ego. And so when I say that Jesus came to reach the lost, we were all lost before we had him. Before he found us, we were lost. And there are neighbors co-workers, there are family members, there are friends at school who so desperately need to hear this message, but we have had this sensation that, that they're not interested in this conversation. But, but here's the thing, when God opens that window where, where they're saying something and, and it opens the opportunity for you to speak about your faith, you have a decision to make of whether I'm going to step into this moment and I'm going to share about the things of God, or am I just going to talk about getting water out of the well with them? Am I going to just talk about the natural things that have to occur on a day-to-day -day basis, or am I going to allow this to be an opportunity to speak about things that will matter forever? Uh, the song that we sang leading into this message where it says, I know that I know. I question whether the church still knows that they know. I question whether the church, because of their lack of concern for the communities that they live in, I question whether they believe in eternity. And one of the things I love about worship is because it, it gives you this sense of heaven. It's this, this, this interaction with God where you sense his love and you sense peace and you sense that he's with you. It's like this small picture of heaven. And, and it interrupts our, the middle of our life on earth. And when we get these pictures of this, this, this connection with God, it shows us there is something greater. But I feel like so much of the church has lost sight of the reality of heaven and the reality of eternity. And that's what I want to shake myself about. I want to walk into my days understanding that this life is short. And I want to tell you, almost 20 years of full-time ministry has locked in the truth of the brevity of life to me. There have been too many times in this 20 years of ministry where I've got to sit and share God's word with someone on a Sunday and then I have to meet with their family as they're preparing a funeral later in the week. Middle school students that I've had to sit with, 
that have passed away. Young adults, husbands, in the middle of raising their children, we never know when our day will be our last day. But what we do know is that we've been given this day as an opportunity. And I know that you've walked through it as well, where you've had neighbors and loved ones whose lives were cut short. And I don't want you to ever have to carry with you the sense of, I never spoke the message of the gospel to them. The thing that I say that is most important, I never shared it with them. And so church, I want us to continue to be a people who looks and grabs a hold of the opportunities to share the life transforming message of the gospel. Because here's the thing that we run up against with the church as well. We have this idea in our head that my job as a believer is to bring someone else to church so that Paul and the pastors can tell them about Jesus. This is one of the reasons why churches have been in decline. I want to make sure the record is set straight here. If you bring someone here, I'm going to preach Jesus crucified and risen and that it is by faith in him alone that we are saved. I will bring that message, but it is the church's job to bring the message of the gospel everywhere you go. I hope to reinforce the message of the gospel that you have already shared with someone else. Many of the people you know, they won't come check out church, but as you engage in the conversation with them about what God has done in your life, they will listen. And that seed that you plant will grow. But I think that it, it rewinds back to where I started. There are so many people who have accepted a version of Christianity that offers no power, no transformation. It's a form of godliness without power. And I want to reaffirm to you, maybe you've never experienced, or maybe it's years gone by and you've been so preoccupied with the, the to-do list, with the, you know, the, I have to make dinner every single night of my life. I have to get these things done. I have to do laundry. I have to get kids to school. I have to get my work stuff done. I have to exercise. I have to stay alive. And the faith category just gets left behind. I, I want to make sure that you know, you have a calling to let God work in your heart so mightily that it sets all those other things in order. Eternity is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And when we put our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has a real power to transform your life, your future, and your eternity. And when you have these opportunities to share that message with someone else, church, we have to grab a hold of it. It's not, oh, I need to get that person to church. It's you. God has perfectly positioned you. The same way that he positioned himself at the well that day to speak to the Samaritan woman, he has specifically put you into certain people's lives where you can share the message of the gospel. And we, we've seen so many opportunities. Like, I'm going to show a video. We've seen so many opportunities like this, and we just pass them by. And I want to challenge you to see them in your own life and grab a hold of them. Will you play that video? I'm Matt. You know me from work, and we briefly talk every day by the coffee machine. As far as you know, my life is going fine, but reality is it's falling apart. I can barely make ends meet. I wish I knew what to do. I'm Julie. I run the gate for your community. You wave hi to me as you drive by after work, and I always wave back with a smile. I see the church sticker on the back of your car as you leave, and I just wish I could be a part of that. But I, my shyness has led me to a point of loneliness, and I just lose more hope every day. I'm Navik. I don't know much about you, 
but I do know that you're big into that church thing and that you like your coffee order with light ice and no water. Most days I'm content, but sometimes I wonder what the purpose of life is. I wish I could ask if you knew the answer, but you seem so busy. I'm Brennan, your personal trainer. I'm sure you think I have it all together because of my fitness level, but I've made a lifestyle of chasing a perfect image to feel valuable. I never feel satisfied. I see how you walk around with an inner joy that you say comes from your God, and I just wish I could have that. I'm too proud to ask to go with you to church, but I just wish you would ask me. In the passage we're looking at today in Gospel John chapter 4, in verse 28 through, through 30, It says, then leaving her jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. And it's interesting, like there's such a dynamic in this passage. Because as she had this interaction with Jesus, her her reaction to this this grace that she was receiving was I need to go tell people. She didn't get good theological training. And in fact, part of her message, I believe, was flawed because Jesus did not tell her everything. Like, but, and so she, she didn't even get the whole message right. But she said, just, just, just come and see. Like, he, 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 he's amazing. Like, come see him. Come have an interaction with him. And so she went into town and she brought back people. But do you remember what the disciples were doing while she was having this conversation with Jesus? They went into the town and brought food back. So they went into the town and they just brought back food. She went into the town and she brought back people. Which one do you think Jesus really wanted? But the disciples were in this mindset of everywhere we go, like we're around people and we're ministering to people. Like we just need to go get the food and then bring it back out to Jesus. And they were so used to being around ministry, they didn't even think about trying to bring people with them. We, we don't see them doing anything of that. But her mindset was the other people in my city, they need to know, they need to come and see, they need to come and experience this. And Jesus' reaction to, to her bringing these people was they spent additional days there in that village teaching and preaching and sharing and seeing life transformation. And then in verse 35, Jesus says this. He says, and he's speaking to the disciples, don't you have a saying it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. They thought they were just going and getting food, and Jesus says, no, this is the time for harvest. And I, I want to tell you, I, I get busyness. I, I get feeling overwhelmed, and I'm not trying to add any extra pressure on your plate, but I want to remind you something about your identity as a follower of Christ. As a follower of Christ, we have to follow the mission and teachings of Christ. And Jesus said his mission was to seek and save those who are lost. His example was to go to people that our culture pushed away and to invite them in, not just into agree, but into a family. Because to be a follower of Christ is to be part of the body of Christ. And so if someone makes a decision to follow Christ and they're here, they're family now. And there are so many people in our city who need family around them. 
There is so much fear and anxiety, not just because of a hurricane, but just the conditions of the world. I'm going to tell you, there are people who are hurting that you might look out and say, they have no interest in God. They have no interest in the message of Jesus Christ. You don't know what's happening behind the scenes in their heart. So when God positions you as he does, I want to challenge you to see that opportunity, to seize that opportunity to be about the mission that Jesus was about. Because we believe the message of the gospel transforms lives. We believe that it's our sin that separates us from God. That God so loved us that he sent his son, his one and only son. So whoever believes will not perish but will have eternal life. We believe that if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And as we make that decision, we experience the transform, transforming power of Christ in our life and we have a message to share. So church, let's share that message with our community. Let's pray. Father, would you just burden our hearts with the truth of eternity? Would you burden our hearts with the truth of heaven? And so when we see the opportunities, we are excited to seize them, believing that you're going to work, believing that you're going to work in people's hearts and minds. And as we share what you've done in our life and we plant the seeds of the gospel, we pray that we would see spiritual fruit. We thank you that we get this opportunity to make a difference in the city. Encourage our hearts as we follow your teachings. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us as we worship?